Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And our text this morning will be verses 1 to 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Listen to Paul as he writes under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of, churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whoever you approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. That's the end of our text this morning. Join with me in prayer as we, before we go through our text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we do thank you for your word. And we are continually reminded of the, of the privilege that we have to have your word in our, in our language. That we can read it that we can study it and we can know it. And we praise and thank you that we have the Holy Spirit that is able to teach us the things of the Spirit and that we are able, not left on our own to discern it, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. And I praise you that it is put in human language for us to understand and that it can be understood. And so I pray this morning that you will protect your word, your Holy Spirit will teach us and we will go out more conform with the image of our Lord Jesus Christ and knowing what you require from us, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, I was a little worried this morning and we've started to fill up the pews, but we have a lot of people missing. And the thing is, we do know this, that when we preach exegetically, you know what passage is coming it's coming up. And so last week we kind of surprised you with Matthew, but then you knew we were coming back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And you knew we were going to be dealing with giving, collecting money. And for some of you, you're just like, oh, this was the Sunday we should have missed. Here he goes. <laughs> I don't know if I've actually ever talked on giving since I've been here. So th this is year five. So... But we know this, we are just following the word of God. We are just going verse by verse. And so this topic is here and so we need to deal with it. But I don't think it's gonna be painful. I think, I think we'll be just fine if we are obedient to the word of God. And so this morning, we're, we're, we're again shifting gears as it were. And Paul says now concerning. And so he is now going to address a problem that that is necessary for him to address. And it, it is a problem that he has probably been written to about. Remember, he's answer, answering questions. The, the Corinthians have sent him a letter and they've asked him questions and he's responding to them. And so in some ways, he has just finished going over the glories of the resurrection and he has just expanded on these great things and all of a sudden just wham, down to practical stuff. And yet he is, it's coming to his mind under the Holy Spirit that this is what he needs to address. Now he's talking about the collection of the saints. And so he's saying there is a specific collection that's taking place. The collection. 
And we know that the, the collection here, as he says in verse 3, is for the church at Jerusalem. Now, we know that in this time in history, their poverty existed in a great way. Now, we know that it's still in the world today, but we live in North America, so we're not really familiar with it. We, we have uh, a couple of maybe snippets as we look at the inner city in different places, but primarily, poverty doesn't exist in North America. But it was a reality for these people and, and is probably a reality for many people around the world where there was a serious need and poverty in the world where people didn't have the food, they didn't have the clothing, they didn't have the housings or the supports for them. And so, as we come here then, Paul says, I'm making a collection because there's a real need and this need is in Jerusalem. There's a need for the church at Jerusalem. And you might say, well, why is the church at Jerusalem so poor? Because aren't all the churches poor? It seems like everywhere Paul went, people didn't have a lot of money. So you've got to wonder what is taking place in Jerusalem that causes them to be t so poor? Well, I think we can deduce a few reasons the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but we can look into history and we can, we, can, we can surmise that there are a number of things that take place. I think, number one, we tend to think Jerusalem as being this rich city. This, we, we think kind of like in Solomon's time and where it's, there's tons of money and all kinds of, we'd almost think that there are streets of gold there. But Jerusalem is no longer that city. And it, is, it has been overrun in history. They've been come back to Jerusalem. And now this, this city has been overpopulated and it continues to be a religious Mecca. People are coming in. People are coming to celebrate the Passover. And they are really draining the economy. They come and though they bring money with them, most of that goes to the temple. And so there's a strain on the resources of the city. Secondly, we could say that the Christians were poor because they are being persecuted for their faith. The church in Jerusalem is poor because they are now being outcasts. They no longer have resources that come from the synagogues. They are no longer able to get jobs because of their faith. They're being ostracized. And so there, there is a, a little bit of, of poverty coming simply because they are being persecuted for their faith. In fact, we see... We see that in, in Acts chapter 8 and 12. Another thing that we see is simply this. Everyone came to the Passover, and when was the church actually started? At Pentecost in Jerusalem, we still have a bunch of people who are new to the city coming down for the Passover, and guess what takes place? 3,000 people are added to the church. The church is growing. And maybe many of those people who had pilgrims to Jerusalem now are what? Staying there. And so you've got, uh, it says in Acts chapter 2, they had all things in common. They were selling their land to support one another. And so there's a, there's a drain of resources and maybe an extra amount of people to take care of. But I think probably the main reason that they are in trouble and, and, and one of the contributing factor, or maybe we could say the one that overarches them all and causes trouble for all the rest, is according to 
Acts 11.27, there was a famine in the land. In fact, there was a, a famine at that time that lasted for four years. And so Paul was sending gifts to Jerusalem and he was sending uh, money to Jerusalem and resources to Jerusalem because this church is poor and there's famine in the land. And so as he's taking up this offering and as he's about to collect it and as he's going to give it to them and as he gives them directions on to take up this offering, that, that they need to take up this offering and that they need to help the church in Jerusalem, He also gives us, for us, and I think he gives us principles that go beyond just the Jerusalem church. He gives us seven principles that apply to collecting as the saints. Seven principles that help us to handle God's money correctly so that we are pleasing to him. And if we apply these principles to, to actually giving, then we will, we will do what is pleasing in God's sight. And so let's just start going through this text and we're going to look at these seven principles and we're going to see how we can apply them so that we are using God's money and resources. We are good stewards of his God's resources. Now he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, we'll stop right there. We find the purpose for the collection right there. Why are we collecting money? The primary reason that they are collecting money is for who? The saints. Now, it seems kind of obvious. You're saying, Pastor, seriously, you need to study more if you're going to come to church and bring this stuff to us. But the reality is, is that when the church gathers money, the primary reason that it gathers money is not to feed the poor, not for the world, but for the saints. There is a priority of giving here and there is, though there may be other reasons for this collection and maybe there are reasons why we would collect money, the primary reason that we collect is simply for the saints, for the physical needs of the saints. Now we know, we know this, we know that we are to support the needs of the church, of the local church. We need to be giving for the pastor, for the pastor's salary. We know that we are to give money for the local church for resources, right? Because we give to the church and the church gives resources back. They give us teaching, they give us a place to go, all of those things. But here we're gathering for the saints because they have physical needs. In other words, we are, they are to take care of other saints. They need to be taking care of the saints. And so the purpose of this collection isn't to feed the poor of the world. It's to feed the poor of the church. Now we know that we're not restricted from helping others. We are to do good to all men, especially, but especially to those of the house of the faith. But we are to do good to all men. But primarily when we come together, we gather our money for who? The saints. And that alone will help us and give us a guideline as to where our priorities should be when we collect money. Now notice this. 
they are funding another local church. They're not just sending their money here to just their own church, but they are sending it to another local church. And so they are now sending this money, we would say, to a church that, that is in need and a church, now I, I want you to notice this, a church that is a founding church in Christianity and, and a church that is Jewish and a church that ultimately is the spiritual, spiritual heritage from which this church comes from. In other words, God gave the gospel to the Jews and the Jews are now the ones who are coming out. Remember, the disciples are Jewish. And it is, it is now coming from the Jews that there is a heritage that comes, a spiritual heritage that comes from. And the principle here that we can get, another principle we can gather is simply this. We need to support or give financial aid to those who have given us spiritual food. Okay? So if we if we are if we are getting spiritual if we're getting fed somewhere and there's a need from those who are feeding us we need to what give. And so we need to look around and say are there are we getting resources from somewhere or is there a church that or or other Christians that we have benefited from then it would behoove us if they are in need that we are the ones who help with that need. And that's what Paul is doing here. And so we need to give to believers. Yes, there are others that we can help, but our primary goal in collecting is for believers. He says, as I directed the church in Galatia, so you do also. And so he says, I've given these instructions to other churches. I've given to the churches in Galatia. And, and now I'm going to give you the same instructions. You need to follow the same principles and the same instructions that I gave them when I was with them. That leads us to our, our second principle. And we could really say this is the, the period of which when you're supposed to give. He says this, on the first day of every week, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. So he says, there's a schedule here. There's a, there's a time period where you're supposed to give. And he says, this time period is on the first day of the week. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say you need to give on the first day of the week? Well, we do know this, that after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the saints begin to meet on the first day of the week, Sunday. The Sabbath was set aside and now believers gathered. We would say the first, the first meeting of believers when Christ appeared to them was on the Sabbath. The second time he appeared to them, they were gathered together on Sunday, I mean, sorry. Sunday, they both start with S. So they, they, he appeared to them on a Sunday. 
The second time he appeared to them, he appeared to them on a Sunday. And that was the pattern of the, of the, of the New Testament church where they met together on Sunday. And so he says, when you make the collection, you need to be giving on Sunday, every first of the week. So that raises some questions. What on earth does that mean? Does that mean that I have to give money every Sunday? Do I have to come to church and put money into the offering plate? Is Paul setting out a standard where if you don't give every Sunday, you're in disobedience. So if you give every second Sunday, you're in half obedience, which as I tell my children is disobedience, right? So what do we do with that? Well, I don't think Paul is being legalistic here. I don't think he's, he's trying to make a thing where if you don't give on church on Sunday, every Sunday you're in trouble. But I think what he's getting at here is a stewardship of money. Now remember, the church is getting together on Sunday to worship. They're coming to meet around the word of God. They're coming together to, in praises. And Paul is saying, you need to be in stewardship of your money. You need to be ready to give you, 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 it is part of worship when you come together. In other words, you can't be worshiping God with singing praises and doing his word while during the week and the rest of the time you're spending your money any way that you want in disregard to God's work. And he's saying this is part of worship and this is part of who you are is to be in stewardship of your money. And so he says every every first day of the week. In other words, there needs to be a plan about giving. There needs to be, there needs to be a consistency in it. And you need to be ready to give all the time. In other words, if there's a need, you need to be ready to give. So don't, don't wait to the end of the year and try to write a big check. Because if we know human nature, if there's money here, what do we tend to do with it? Spend it, right? And so there's, there tends to be a shorter account here and, 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 the, and the call to be consistently being good stewards of your money, to be deliberate about your giving. It shouldn't be haphazard. It shouldn't be whenever you feel like it. There should be a deliberate plan and a deliberate intent with your money. The idea is you can't serve God and you can't serve money. And so you've got to be always putting your, your, uh, your money into his hands and being a steward for him. And so we want to be ready to meet needs wherever we can. Then thirdly, I want us just, just to see who's to give. We could say the participants or the personnel of giving. He says on the, on the first day of each week, each one of you. 
So he's saying, who's to be doing this? Each one of you. Literally, let, let each one of you. In other words, no one is exempt. No one is exempt. Everyone must give. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for those who have a massive excess. It is for those, for each individual believer to be giving. We could say this. If you have anything, you have something to give. If you have anything, you have something to give. And so he says that you need to be what? You need to be involved. You're not the exception to the rule. In other words, if you have more than your needs, needs, not wants, needs, you are to required to what? To give. There's no exceptions to this rule. You don't say, well, there's lots of rich people in the church. My $5 wouldn't mean anything. You're not giving for them. You're giving for God. Luke 16 says, says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. If you've been faithful with your money, the idea is what? That God will give more to you. Now, I want, I want, I want you to listen to this very, very carefully. If you are faithful with your money, and you are faithful to give, God will give you more. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel, so I want us just to hold back. Some of us are rising out of our seats. Pastor Tony, you've gone off the end. What I want you to know is this. God has, in his economy, has made you to be a conduit. You are not a bank. Too many of us think that we're God's bank. The money comes in and it stays right here, right? We spruce up the lobby, right? We get everything made better. But God's economy is that he gives you things so that you can give them away. That's why who is faithful in little will be given much. In other words, if you continue to be a conduit, God will continue to give you. In fact, he says he will, he will give you abundantly. We just read that in, in 2 Corinthians, didn't we? Where he talks about... And the God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now he says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And the idea is this. If you will give toward to God, God will give back to you. But the moment 
that your decide that because you have more money that your lifestyle is going to increase, God starts to pull the reins back in. Now, for some of us, we wonder why it may be that some of us wonder why we are not, we don't have more money than we do. It's because we are becoming banks instead of conduits. And if we're not faithful with that, then God's not going to give you more. He's not going to give you more to spend it more on the things that you want and, the thing, and your own desires. He will only give you more if you give it away. So God is not about the prosperity gospel, as it were, so that you can live a high lifestyle, but he is about giving blessings to those who live in obedience and give. And the hardest, one of the most hard and biggest dangers and the hardest things to do is actually not for that money to stay in the bank because we want to hoard it and we want to keep it. And we, and we say, well, guess what? I'm just taking 10%, but now that I'm making $100 million a year, I've got $10 million to spend on me. Well, lastly, look, you don't need $10 million a year to live. Right? So we don't need to be keeping more for ourselves. And then we're not saying that being rich is a problem. But what we are saying that it is a problem that as God gives us, that we continue to take more and more for ourselves instead of giving it away. And so God, he, he says to us, listen, each one of you is responsible to give. Each one of you must make a habit of it. You don't say, well, guess what? The rest of the church is given and I'm going to just take, I'm going to cut this right out. After all, you know what? I don't have the gift of giving. Right? I've got the gift of encouragement. Go team give, right? <laughs> so, again, we are called, each one of us, we are called to give. Then he says this, and I would say the fourth principle then is we've seen the purpose for giving, we've seen the period of giving, we've seen the participants of giving, now we're seeing the place of giving. He says this, I'm going to go back to Corinthians, so that would be helpful. He says this, on the first day of each week, what, each one of you is to put aside and save. To put aside and save. In other words, you are continually to, 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 to take, you are continually to give, you are continually to set that money aside. So the question becomes, where do we put it? Where do we put it? Now there are some scholars who would say, well, this simply means that you are to take your money and to set aside it at home. You take your money on the first day of the week and you set it aside. But I would suggest to you that, that what he is speaking of here is not, not speaking about you storing it at your house, but to lay it in the treasury of the church. To lay it in the treasury of the church. 
And I think this is the pattern of history. This is the pattern that has taken place in the church. And so when he says you are to lay it aside, it's a personal thing and it's a private kind of thing, but you are giving, but it is to give it to the church. The Greek word here is a word for thesaurus or treasury. The word means, it means treasury. It, it could mean um, a money box. It could mean chest or it could mean a warehouse. It could mean a chamber. It means a lot of things, but where you put the treasure, it's where you put your valuables. Well, the thing is the word then doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't tell us anything about where the thing is, but if we study history, we learn something very interesting. Early in the pagan temples in Greece and Rome, the pagans would give their money and offering to what? Pagan temples. All the pagan temples had were known as treasure boxes, and the people would come with their money and place it in the treasury of the temple. This was also true of Judaism. Remember the widow, as she came and she gave her mites, people were giving money to the treasury. They came and they gave their offering at the temple. And so what ended up happening is the temples became what the largest banks. They were the ones who would have money because everyone gave money to the temple. And it was the safest place to bank because no one robbed the temple. So they, they had safety deposit boxes so that you could keep your, your money there, etc. Now you'll notice this, he says, and so he says that the habit of history was always for them to give money where? At the temple. Now remember, we're coming out of Judaism, we're coming out of, out of, out of the culture there. So you, there, you would think that there would be a natural understanding of giving at the, at the church. Now second of all, he says on the first day of the week to give this. Now, it would seem that there's significance to the first day of the week because when did believers meet on the first day of the week? So why would you put your money together at home on the first day of the week? It doesn't, it doesn't seem congruent to me. Especially when you're supposed to be giving money to distribute, why would you, why would you keep hoard it at home and put it in, in the bank? Now, secondly, I think as we look again, I think P Paul says here, I don't, in verse, later on in the chapter, when I arrive, he says, he says, so that no collections be made when I come. He says, I want you to put it aside so there's no collections when I come. And so when Paul came, then they would have to make a collection to get it all together. And Paul says, I don't want any collections when I come. And so I would understand that he is saying the place to give is to the church. This is, this is where we give our money. This is where we give our, our New Testament giving is at the church. So he says this is where you entrust that money is to take it and give it to the church. And then I want you to see the next principle. Not only are we to give, are we to, the place of giving, but now we see the proportion of giving, the proportionate of giving. He says this, and again, 
we're getting a lot out of verse 2. On the first day of each week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. As he may prosper. So now again, he gives us he gives us some indication as to how we are to give. We, we talked about everyone's responsible to give. But now he says there's actually how you're to give. In other words, you're supposed to give in proportion to how you prosper. Now, you'll notice this. He does not say you need to tithe 10%. Did you notice that? He did not say, listen, I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how, how poor you are. You got to give 10%. You've got to tithe 10%, which is interesting because for a rich person, you're going like, yes, only 10%. And for someone who's extremely poor, 10% might mean we're not eating. So one thing we want to just understand right away is we are never required to tithe in the New Testament. Tithing is not a New Testament concept. It is actually an Old Testament concept. Now, where did the 10% come from? Well, some people say, well, Abraham gave 10% when he gained all of his riches. Others say, well, it comes from the Old Testament law with Moses, right? He, they, the Israelites had to give 10%. Well, the reality is, is that the old, the, in the Old Testament, the Jews actually gave 30%. They gave 30%. Now, I actually heard a pastor say, look, they used to give 30% tithe in the Old Testament, so take 10% because it's better. But there's nothing in the New Testament that talks about, actually about tithing 10%. In fact, in the Old Testament, they gave 10% for the salaries of the Levites. Now remember, they're a theocracy. God is ruling Israel and he's telling them how to behave. And he says, you have to give 10% to the Levites. What does that sound like to you? Taxes. This is the government telling you to give money. This isn't voluntary giving. And so the Levites tax was to be paid to pay for the salary of public servants. That's not free will giving. That's a tax. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, they were tried to give another 10% every year, and this was to go for the funding of national holidays. Now, they're not paving the streets, but, I mean, maybe they're a little more fun here because they, they, are, they are what? They're souping up the holidays at your expense, right? So again, this is not free will giving, this is to take care of national unity and national religion, and this is again coming from the government. Then in Deuteronomy 12 again, there's a third 10%, and that was to go to the poor, and that was welfare and required every third year. 
So now the government is in, in taking care of the poor in Israel. This was their job. Now you pay taxes, right? You, you pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. And the government does a lot of these things. It, there's welfare, there's all of these other things. So it wasn't free giving. In fact, the Israelites had to, if they wanted to give, they had to give above that. In fact, Moses in the old, in Moses says, "Honor the Lord with your substance, and with the first fruit of all your increase shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses burst out with new wine." How much do they give? Whatever you want, just honor the Lord, and that's what they did. They gave above. If they wanted to give anything to the Lord, they gave beyond that. And so remember, the Old Testament tithe that we call tithing was actually taxation. Right? We don't have a theocratic government. I think we're aware of that. <laughs> right? We pay taxes. And so whatever we're called to give then, we are called to give freely and sacrificially. So you say, how much should I give? Whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Right? The principle is to give, the Lord loves what? A cheerful giver. So you, you have to give cheerfully. And then it talks about giving sacrificially. So those are the two guidelines, and then guess what? Then you give in proportion to the way the Lord prospers. Now, again, for some of you, that will mean that you won't be able to give very much at all. You may have two quarters to click together if they still have quarters. I guess the pennies is gone at the end of the month and that may be all that you can give. But before in God's eyes if you do it cheerfully and sacrificially that's it that's good. For some of us we think well we've done our 10% and we're we're good with God. But we're not giving sacrificially and we're not giving cheerfully. We're just giving we're giving out of our wealth not in proportion to it. Right? If you need I'm going to use ridiculous numbers. If you need a million dollars to live and you're making 10 million and, you, and you're giving 10% to God, that means you've got 8 million in the bank. Right? Do you need that? Again, it is in proportion to what you do. So a proportion to what God prospers you, not according to a certain percentage. One lady came and she gave $50 and she said to the pastor, is that enough? And he says, well, I don't know. Is that in proportion to your wealth? So she came back with a $500 check and she said, is that enough? He says, I don't know. That's between you and God. Is it proportion to what you make? So she went home and wrote a $5,000 check. Right? Again, we, we do it according to what? The what God prospers us joyfully and sacrificially. Now, one thing that I... I want to make clear is this. 
you do, you do not give away money you do not have. Okay? You do not give away money you don't have. So you don't just say, this is my rent money, but it's Sunday, honey, and so we're, gonna give it, we're, we're just going to give our, our rent money away and we're going to trust God. He never requires you to do that. He never requires you to give away the things that are necessary for life. And there may be a time where you give sacrificially, which means, guess what, for, for, for many of us, that means we don't get the new couch or the new TV or the new computer. Or it may be that we decide that this week I'm going to, I will skip my meals in order to give that money to someone who's starving somewhere else. But never do you sacrifice your family or yourself for the things that are necessary for life. You don't say, I can't pay the rent, sir, because I gave my money to the church. You don't get to get out of paying your rent. And God is not honored by you giving away the things that you need for life to survive. Now, you may say, well, man alive, then I have no money every month. I have nothing to give. Well, it may be that you will have to skip a meal or it may be that you will have to reassess your needs. Right? Where we're going to have to say, well, am I actually going along my needs or, or do many of my needs, are they actually wants? And we will often find that we are, we, there are fat that we can trim in our own lives. And I'm starting to get uncomfortable because I think I might have to trim some fat. But the reality is, is that we, we, we often have ways that we can save money if, if it is our priority. And so we are called to do that. So how much do you give the Lord? Whatever you want. I know for some of us, it's just easier if we just have that 10%, right? We can, we can measure it on the board. We can go over there. Yep, I gave my 10%. But for some of you, like, like I said, 10% is too much. And for some of you, 10% is not enough. But that is something not that I need to know. That's between you and God. And again, I just, well, we'll talk about this here in a minute. Okay. So we've seen the purpose of giving, the period of giving, the place of giving, the participants of giving, the proportionate giving. And then we see here the provocation of giving. He says this. He says, as he may prosper, gives as may be prosper, so that no collection be made when I come. No collection made when I come. Now that's interesting. Paul didn't want any offering to be taken when he came. And you've got to ask yourself that question, why not? Why not? 
because he's not collecting for himself, he's collecting for others. So why do you think that he would say, I don't want you to have an offering when I come? Well, first of all, I think, I think he's already said, put, start putting aside the first day of the week and, and start storing it up. So we would say this, more than likely if you store, and we would say that I think Paul doesn't actually get there for another year, you got a whole year to save, right? So for, for most of us, if we put $5 a, away a week, we don't notice it. But if you have to make a big gift, you might not have it when he arrives. And so I think there's part, part of it is Paul is saying, I want, you to get, I want you to get on this so that there's some money to give. But I also think there's a principle here where he is saying, listen, I don't want you to give because I, I, the Apostle Paul, come to you and, give, and you guys get all worked up and, and all in a fright because here comes the great Apostle Paul and now I'm feeling guilty because I haven't given and now I'm making an emotional decision and I'm just going to give. And Paul says, listen, I, I don't want you to be provoked to give because I'm coming and because you feel guilty. I want you to give because you want to give for the glory of God. And so I don't want you to, to have this, you know, emotional, guilt-ridden offering. Because if I'm not giving cheerfully and I'm not giving sacrificially and I'm giving just out of guilt because I think I have to, then it's not glorifying to God either. Right? So if you're not giving cheerfully and you're not giving sacrificially and you're not giving joyfully, then you get no reward no uh, uh, approval from God. And I hope that doesn't encourage some of you who have said, oh, well, then great, I'll stop giving until I feel cheerful. That's not, not the intent. So he doesn't want, he's not coming to give an emotional appeal. He wants it systematic, he wants it week by week. Now, that's not saying that there isn't times where we wouldn't take up an offering, where there's a need that comes and we give. But primarily our giving as we give to others and as we give to those, we collect it over time. And it's not a, an emotional guilt-ridding thing. It is just giving to the glory of God. So the last principle I want us to see as we as we take a collection and as we as we again try to be good stewards of God's word I mean God's resources is the protection the protection of the offering look at this when I arrive whomever you approve I will send with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem and Paul is saying listen to protect the integrity of the offering, I want you guys to choose who's going to take the offering, who's going to, who's going to transport it. I'm not going to be involved in the process of taking that money and being, having it in my hands and personally responsible to take it to Jerusalem. 
And again, you see the protection here because it's not the, min- it's not the minister, it's not the pastor, it's not the person in charge who handles the money. In fact, the pastor should never know who gives what. If you have a pastor who's interested in who's tithing and who's tithing too much, not enough, I mean, never too much. Uh, <laughs> you need to get rid of him. He's got a love of money, right? You need to get rid of him. He has a love for money. It is none of his business, right? He needs to be free to preach to you the word of God, unencumbered by the knowledge of how much you give. He needs to be able to give you the sweet joy of church discipline and treat you just as average as everyone else, right? And so when the pastor doesn't come up, you give a big gift to the church and the pastor doesn't come up and say, thank you, thank you for your gift, right? Don't be offended because he shouldn't know. And for you who are not giving very much, you're grateful that the pastor's not coming up and saying, hey, pony up, right? We don't, we don't want that. And so Paul says, listen, you choose men to handle the money. Those who you approve, those who are tested is the idea. Those who demonstrate by character who they are. Now remember, in the early church, who did the, who did, where did they take the money? They came and laid the money where? At the feet of the apostles, right? They gave it to the feet of the apostles. The apostles were the ones, the trustworthy, godly men who took charge of the money. And then when they were, got busy, what happened? We're too busy for this. Look, we've got to give ourselves to the teaching of the word. We've got to give ourselves to prayer. So find some other men to handle the business. And what did they find? You will find men full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. They were spiritually qualified. And the finances of the church should always be in the hands of of those not who are qualified because they're accountants, not qualified because of their backgrounds, but those who are spiritually qualified. These people were qualified not by what they did, but by who they were. They were spirit-filled men of faith. And so the money of the church should always be placed in the hands of people who are trustworthy and who are spiritually mature. This is the protection of the church. And so it is incumbent that the money of the church be handled by godly men who are trustworthy to handle God's funds in a way that is biblical and that is ethical. This is why it's so important for a church to ultimately appoint godly elders. To have godly elders. And so often in churches, you will end up having a deacon's board who is in charge of, quote, all the practical stuff, and they're in charge of the money. 
And yet the most spiritually qualified men in the church are the elders of that church. And God has placed elders in churches to protect the church, to oversee the church, and to protect it. And so Paul says, when we collect, we need to be careful. This is not not for the leadership. This is not for the pastor. We need to protect that money because it's God's money, not ours. And so we need to find those. And Paul says, I'm going to send letters. In other words, I, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to write letters of commendation that when they take the letters, they know that these men are, are approved and that these men have my seal of approval because you have approved them. And they will be commended to the church. Letters of introduction. And then Paul finishes up, he says, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. They will take it. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now Paul leaves this open-ended. Traditionally, many theologians have said, well, what Paul is saying here is the word for gift is the word charis or grace. It's a grace gift that has the idea of abundance. And Paul is saying, I will go if your gift is big enough. In other words, if it, if it's, if it justifies me going, I will go. And we know from Romans that he actually decides to go and to take this gift. But I, I'm not convinced that that's true. It would, it would seem to me that, that Paul is saying, unless you're liberal enough, it's going to look bad on me, so I'm not going. So I would suggest to you that what Paul is saying is that I may be going to Jerusalem, and if it's fitting and, and, and the schedules work out and everything that I'm doing in ministry works out and all the problems in Jerusalem, if they need me to go, then I will go. So if it's fitting... If you guys think, no, Paul, you need to stay here, or no, you just need to not be part of that, then I won't go. But if it's fitting, I will go. And, uh, and you guys can accompany when I, when I go to Jerusalem on ministry, which he ultimately does. And so Paul just says, look, if it's fitting, I'll go. But again, there's protection of this money. There's protection of godly men, those who are, who are tested and approved to take this money as a gift. And so we as a church need to do the same. We need to make sure that, that we protect and place the money that is collected from the church into the hands of those who are faithful and tested so that it is used properly for the furthering of God's work in the church. And so this morning we have seen really seven principles that are applied to collecting money for the church. And if we will apply these seven principles, then we will steward God's money the way that he wants us to. And so we need to be those who recognize the purpose of giving, that we are handling the money, that the, mo the primary purpose of our money is for the building of the church. Not the building, but the people. Right? And whether that's here or around the world, whether we support missionaries, 
whether we pay for the programs and the, and the resources here, that we take care of one another who is in need. That we supply, the, the, again, and we talked about this in 1 John chapter 3, if we need to supply the things for life. We're not going to pay your mortgage down. We're not going to buy you a new car as a church. If, if an individual in a church wants to do that, that's just fine. But the idea is this. We need to make sure that you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, and food in your stomach. That's what the church's job is to do. So we must recognize that purpose. We recognize that we must be systematic and do it worshipfully. We come to church to give, that we might give to the church and its resources. We all must participate. We must give in proportion to what God has given us. And we must not give out of guilt. And then we must make sure that we protect that money that is given so that it is used for the purpose for which God has given it to the church. If we do that, then we will not only be faithful in our uh, duty to give to the church, but the, but the money that is given will be handled properly for the things that glorify God and that build his church. Then we as a church will be faithful to the task that he has given to us in handling his resources. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your blessings to us, and we thank you that in your economy you give us enough to pay for our needs, and you give us a little extra that we might give to others. And so I pray that you would help us to be a church that as we take offerings and as we take collections would be honoring to your purposes that we would be a church that gives for your glory, that we would give cheerfully and sacrificially. And I pray that you would make us stewards of your word, of your resources, I mean, and that we would give it to the things that you have declared that we should in your, in your word, and that you would help us as we are your means to build a church here on this earth and to demonstrate to the world our love for one another, I pray in your name. Amen.